Hey everybody, uh, I'm Jim Barton. And I'm Reverend Abigail Conley. And this is an episode of Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. Um, today, uh, our topic uh, could be called the law. What is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. No, that's not the answer. So we're going to talk about what the law is good for. We're going to also talk about what the law is not and what, what we don't mean by talking about the law. So we've done a lot of bashing of literalism and a lot of bashing of fundamentalism sometimes, although we try to be careful about that. Uh, from time to time on the podcast. But, Abby, why do we need to even worry about the law as Christians? Why can't we just follow our hearts? So, first of all, there, the primary reason is the fact that we do not practice a faith that came out of nowhere. It came out of Judaism. Jesus was a rabbi. It came out of a lived experience of the law. And, um, in particular... As you know, Jesus was kind of um, as the temple was destroyed again, and those things. We have Pharisaical Judaism with Jesus, where they're figuring out the law is central rather than the temple is central. So we actually come out of a version of Judaism that prioritizes the law over temple worship because they had to, because they didn't have a temple. And that's an, actually a really, I think, important historical point. Jesus we believe lived until about 30 AD. Right. The temple was destroyed in... 70. 70 AD. The second temple was. The second temple, right, right. So, Pharisaic Judaism arose when there was no temple. And so, rebuilding the temple, when you get all of the um, kind of misery over this isn't as grand as the first one and everyone, people had to figure out how to worship before that and that is where pharisaic judaism arose was out of that we don't have a temple we're not a temple cult anymore what becomes central law becomes central so when jesus who was a pharisee is practicing this type of judaism and that becomes the founder of our faith the head of our faith the head of our church we can't just ignore the law and in fact jesus did not ignore the law right Right, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said he's not changing the law, he's completing the law. And because we came out of Judaism, all of the New Testament scriptures are in some way in conversation with the Old Testament and with the law. And especially when you get to some of those denser texts like Sermon on the Mount or those things, it would be fairly easy to go through and hyperlink a ton of those references for like, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about this other thing, we're talking about this other text. And it's informing exactly what you're hearing, including the fact that the audience that was hearing those things for the first time would have known all of that law. And it kind of functions for them of all of these illusions that are coming through because they know this first. And I think, I think, so I think that is really important that we can't understand what Jesus is saying if we don't understand what the Old Testament is, if we don't understand the law that, that Jesus is commenting on. I also think that the law provides guidance to us as a moral code, as a way to live, that it would be very difficult for us to derive from scratch. And I think that we have to acknowledge, for example, you have the idea of Sabbath, you have the idea of charity. To me, those are both ideas of giving something up, of like, of pausing from pursuing your own personal success for a minute, for a day, you know, for 10% of what you earn, for whatever. And I think if you der- try to just derive that from first principles, you know, you I don't know, I think it's a hard task to get to. And for us who, you know, do a lot of um, historical criticism of texts, one of the other things that is just astounding about um, 
the law that is found in our Old Testament versus other ancient Near Eastern law codes is how much it prioritizes care for the immigrant, the refugee, that other texts do not. This and in modern context, um, you know, um, Ayn Rand is a, a philosopher who's about basically you should pursue your own gain and you should support the super the the supermen, the ubermensch or whatever, like right. sort of playing off of Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. That's a sm- philosophy developed by a smart person who has compelling arguments. Mm-hmm. Okay, why not that? Well, we as Christians, we have the law that we derive from the Old Testament and that was given by Jesus that does compel us to behave in a different way. Right. Um, and, and I guess the first thing about then now, what we mean by this is to talk about whether the law is about, in the legal world we talk about, some people try to say the law is calling balls and strikes. Famously when Justice Alito was approved for the Supreme Court in his hearings, he said that he saw his job as a judge is just to call balls and strikes, which is the idea that the law is fixed and unchanged, and that you're really just... That's actually kind of funny, because the strike zone moves around a lot and is not right. a super clear thing, but he meant it to be a super clear... I'm just I'm just commenting on where you are. We don't believe that's the way the Old Testament law works either. We also don't believe that's the way our um, functional law that we live under as a country right. works either. Let's just be clear. Laws can change, and when we talk about social justice... Part of that is talking about, so you broke the law because the law is unjust. So let's rewrite that law. Right. And so the Old Testament law is also fluid in its own way. I think the particular version of Christianity, we're used to the like, well, here's the Bible verse, here's the proof text, um, and so clearly we have to do this. That's not the case. Um, Many, many Jews have commented on and changed Torah, um, the kind of famous all of the reasons that you kill people, a lot of that conversation makes it impossible to kill someone or next to impossible Mm -hmm. because the expansion of the law, the expansion, um, the continued understanding of who God is in relationship with God's people changes that. Right. And so something that seems very fixed in interpretation and continued interpretation and communal interpretation changes a lot. Right. And, 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 and also it has to change and grow and evolve to the circumstances. Um, one of the things that gets a lot of play when you talk about the law is how do you treat um, being gay, right? And it's, it's just a fact that the law doesn't address being gay. The law addresses having gay sex. But having gay sex is different than being gay. The law addresses men having gay sex. Uh-huh. Not women. Why? Well, well, I think there's some. I think there, Paul has some, some nastiness about it. Paul too, does. Yeah, yeah. But the Old Testament. The is Old only Testament about men, law yeah. addresses men having sex with other men. That is radically different from same-sex relationship that involves love. That is what we talk about. That also is a very narrow view of sexuality, only as it pertains to men in power. Right. And so we say we recognize that the law has valuable things to say. But we also recognize that the law and scripture is not fixed and unchanging. Right. And that's and by the way, we're not the first ones to do that, right? No. I mean, um, the the um, who, who was it who commented on what what the that Sodom was a result of being inhospitable? Ezekiel. Ezekiel, right? So Ezekiel is going back and looking at the Old Testament and saying, well, the real message here is about hospitality. Right. I don't know if that's true of the author of I guess it would be Genesis. Genesis. I don't know if it's true of the authors of Genesis. 
I don't know what they were talking about. They maybe they were talking about homosexuality. Maybe they were talking about just how powerful God is. Who knows? But Ezekiel, who is still Old Testament prophet, said it's about hospitality. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting. So this idea that the law is changing and moving and is not new, right? Including the fact that the Bible was edited, and you know we talk about the different biblical authors every once in a while, but. They're literally in what we call the fixed law, are kind of fighting it out and commenting on each other's and adding clarifications and changing things. Um, that becomes very, very clear if if you look at it closely and hard, and you have to study dead languages for several years before you got there. Right. But it's not like it's inaccessible to just anyone. It's like, oh, you use different names for God. You do these things differently. And so we were talking about before we start recording about taking these tests and applying it to, um, I know that you've had conversations with young people who have come out to you before, mm-hmm. and um, in, a, in an environment where it was socially very unacceptable. Right. And you have talked about walking the line between loving them for who they are, saying, no, this is you are a creation of God, and who you are internally is a thing of God, um, but, then not, but then saying, warning against... That doesn't mean you throw off everything from before. Right. So you want to talk a little bit about some yeah. of the boundaries? And- in particular with one kid. And I think this the, that particular kid had made some very clear statements about his own expectations for sexuality. Of, I want to be in a committed relationship before I have sex. I want these things. And the problem was the relationship with church then becomes, well, this was tied to church. So... If, if church rejects me for being gay, then often you reject all of these other things. And I know the counter-narrative. The counter-narrative is, oh, you're gay, so let's let's have sex and drugs and um, intertwine those two. And, you know, eventually you'll settle down when you're, like, in your 30s or something. Right, right. And I know that counter-narrative. And I think that's a really dangerous narrative. And so that conversation was out of the, okay, here's what you said you want for your life. Here's what you said you wanted for your life based out of your understanding of Christianity and relationships and what it means to be in love with another person and what it means to have healthy relationships. That doesn't change because you now tell other people that you want those relationships to be with men and not women. Right. And I think that is just a very difficult line for so many people to figure out that you can derive some of this. Right. And, like, the overarching truth is still there, but you can reject a portion of it and say no, and here's why. And you can say, you know, marriage is an important relationship that should be entered into with gravity, Um, but if you're in an abusive relationship, you should leave that relationship. Right. Why? Because even though Jesus said you only leave the relationship when there's infidelity, Jesus was looking at a context of justice. And we can evolve the law. So, so we are able to look at, let the law evolve, let the law grow with the circumstances without right. totally abandoning the law. Right. And even with the example of infidelity, Jesus understood that this has broken this covenant. Right. So in a world where women are no longer dependent on men for income and those sorts of things, guess what? You hitting me would break that covenant. Right. Absolutely. That breaks that covenantal relationship that just is the way it is. And so it is an expansion of the law. It's not a disregarding of it. Right. Or even a completion of it is what Jesus said. Right. All right. Well, I think that's a good uh, covering of that topic and how to maintain the law um, without abandoning it.
Um, and so until next time, cheers. <laughs>